Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, uh, you can't go anywhere for the next 30 minutes. Just tell them. We're going to lock the doors. And I say that because the, as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 11 today, we're going to talk about a controversial subject. Uh, complex, in fact, uh, one commentator said very, very difficult aspects in this particular section of Scripture. There's some surprises along the way, and when it comes to verse 10 in particular, which we're only going to spend a second on verse 10, uh, Gordon Fee, a commentator that I've been studying all throughout 1 Corinthians, said that it's a text so difficult that it has defied our best scholarly guesses over the centuries. <laughs> and so you're saying, okay, well, we're, we're heading into a difficult time uh, uh, to, to talk about, and uh, some of the things that we're going to address this morning may be difficult to hear. Um, I'm praying that we can bring a biblical perspective to, to discern kind of what God's heart is for us today, to bring an application that we can walk away with some takeaways. Um, but again, uh, don't, don't get up and just walk out if I say something that at first seems offensive. And uh, just trust me that we, once we get to the end, you can, you can agree to disagree at the end, but, uh, but don't get up and walk because I'll be offended, all right? And uh, Terry, you just watch in the back. Hey, get back here. Get back here. You can't leave, man. Uh, you got to sit down too. This one's for you. <laughs> That's not true, Terry. I'm just kidding, man. I got in my notes here. There's not, it's, I don't, all right. We're going to talk about the differences between men and women today. And, uh, I mean, you're a stunning man. I mean, a stunning specimen of, of God. <laughs> but uh, when I talk about what we're going to talk about, I promise you that there's not just one person in mind or dozens of people in mind. I really don't have any of you in my mind. It's God's Word we're going to talk about this morning. And hopefully, uh, I'm just like digging a hole. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to go on. All right. Okay. Let's start the video now. Or not the video, but the, the recording now. <laughs> All right. Good. All right. How many of you know that there's fundamental differences between men and women? All right. If you do, just kind of nod your head if you're with me. Right? And uh, most of those differences are pretty obvious. If you ever had a child, you're, you're holding a baby, you know, a little girl, a little boy, uh, but when they start to grow developmentally, uh, there are very clear uh, differences between boys and girls that we have one of each in my family. And uh, it's interesting that as Logan has grown, he has always been rough and tough, and he always wants to fight me, and he always wants to take me down, and I let him most of the time. But I got to tell you, there was a time... Uh, not too long ago, Logan was taking karate, you know, uh, uh, Sanchan Ru or something, you know. And, uh, and he said, hey, Dad, could I try something on you? Something his, his uh, sensei had taught him that would work on any size. And Daniel, I mean, even your size, th this would work. And so Logan, my 10-year-old son, I think he was nine at the time, he comes up to me and he puts me in this hold and he does this pressure point thing and literally I am on my knees. I'm going, oh, hey, hey, okay, okay, okay. And he got me. And I'm thinking, whoa. And that was Logan. Now, Reagan, she's never done that. Never even probably thought of doing that. She probably, you know, instead, I was telling first service, she likes to be held and she loves, and if you ever see her around me, she kind of like leans into me and wants me to give her a hug. And I, and I love that about her. She also, even, you know, she's a grown woman at this point. She's 14, almost 15. She will run up to me. How many, you probably, some of you have seen this, and, and she wants me to catch her. And I'm thinking, 
okay, you're a little big for this, but I'm going to do it as long as, because I know at some point she's not going to want me to catch her. <laughs> but she's still at 14. She's not here to defend herself, but she'll come and I'll try to catch her. And if I don't catch her right, I mean, I'm putting my back out. And, uh, but it's worth it because I love my daughter. But, but there's differences. There's, there's psych- psychological differences many times. There's physiological differences, especially when you know, our, our kids get to puberty age and, and there's emotional responses are different. Um, and it, I don't think it's just the, the X's and the Y chromosomes that are different. I believe that God ordained it that way. There was a divine order that created men and women, boys and girls, and these are distinct differences uh, from God, and I believe that God is honored when those differences are maintained. And we're going to get there, and you'll, you'll kind of see where we're going. And the text that we're going to talk about, it talks about some of those differences, and, and uh, I believe that God wants to speak to us. But the, the topic at hand is women with head coverings, and uh, at first blush, kind of like the food sacrifice to idols, we, a lot of times we just kind of keep on going through Scripture. And what's interesting is that it was a particular cultural situation, and it's hard to reproduce, saying, okay, what's the Word of God for us? But I do believe that I've heard from the Lord, and God wants to help us this morning. But before we read the text, I want to give some historical background that will be very helpful when we read through this to give us some understanding. Now, I want to do something real quick. If you are a lady here and you have uh, have or had long flowing hair, um, you know, at one point in your life, or maybe today your hair is long, you know, whatever, uh, just raise your hand. How many uh, ladies? All right, most of the women here. Okay. Well, um, if in the time when this was written, um, if you did not have your hair covered, or if you didn't have your hair up if it was undone, so to speak, or uncovered in that culture, you would have been considered at least immodest and at the greatest immoral if your hair was just free-flowing. Now, I don't see anyone here this morning, any of the ladies with your heads covered. And so I, I just want to you know, say, boy, you know, according to this scripture, you're missing it. But we're going to bring some application, okay? <laughs> but what's interesting is that the free-flowing hair in that culture was a sign of sensuality. Uh, one commentator, or actually a couple commentators, would reference that it was even like borderline nudity to have free-flowing hair for ladies not to be covered up. And for the Jews, it was just important for their hair to be up. And what happened, if it wasn't, it was considered to be highly tempting to the men around them. And it wasn't just the Jewish law. It was Roman law. It was in the uh, Corinthian culture. The veil or the covering, which didn't cover their face, but their head, it was covered up. Nearly every woman in that society would have adhered to that cultural uh, phenomenon. And if they didn't, it was considered to be flirtatious, seductive. And what's interesting is in some of the law that was written around that time, a woman could be divorced by her husband if she didn't cover her head. So if you guys, you know, if you, as, you know, you're going along and things were rocky in your marriage and, and your wife decided not to wear a head covering, that was grounds enough for divorce. That's how serious this topic was. Now, it's interesting to, in today's text, no one knows exactly why this question kind of came up in the Corinthian church. 
there was a few guesses, and I'll talk about those in a second, but no one really understands why Paul's addressing this. But I think it's our job to, to say, okay, this is God's word. What is God's word saying to us? And I do believe there's some things that will kind of uh, emerge for us today. But the first thing was that the question is, was it an issue of liberty? Where the women were saying, hey, we are free. We talked about that with food sacrifice to idols. We're free in Christ. We can do as we please. We don't, we don't have to wear a covering. Was it because there were some issues of modesty? Or there was a, 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 a trend in that culture that the women wanted to wear their wealth in their hair, and so they would use barrettes or different things in their hair, and maybe that was part of the issue from the uh, the. <laughs> Uh, Mediterranean uh, culture uh, there. But what I thought was interesting is, I'm, and I'm not sure what the answer is, but um, that as the church grew and exploded and as Jesus stepped on the scene and then he went into heaven, there wa- what was interesting is that Jesus, he admonished women. He loved women just like the men, and there was no distinction between men and women spiritually. And as the early church was established, and it really is a pattern for the church for us today when, in regards to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophecy, and the other spiritual gifts, um, there, were, there was no distinction. Way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, if you can remember way back when we studied that, we looked at that the Corinthians at that time, they felt like they had achieved a sense of spirituality that was a high level. And, uh, and in that, they decided in their own right, they're saying, you know what, the only things that are of the Spirit matter that the body didn't matter. And so it could have been that some were saying, look, um, if, it's this, if that's the case, if it's not spiritual, it doesn't matter. And because covering a head would be something physical, the distinction was less important. And we do, again, we don't understand fully. But as we read these verses here in just a second, I want you to know that there's uh, kind of three things that kind of emerged for me uh, in this text. One is a, an issue of authority. One is an issue of submission, and then the other is an issue of modesty. And so uh, you should be there. Uh, turn in my, your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, we're going to dive in and ask the Lord to help us uh, through these verses. A tricky passage, but uh, I believe God wants to speak to us. And if you could stand to honor God's Word, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can grab one on the back tables so you can follow along. And uh, we believe that that will be helpful to you. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. It says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Verse 3. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if, it dis- if it's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. Verse 8, For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her 
head. Verse 11, in the, in the Lord, however, women is not, is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it's her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, you read that, it's like, okay, God, what are you trying to say? Well, how many believe that this morning we can get there and we can bring some application that will be meaningful? There's three things, again, authority, submission, and then modesty. That's where we're going to kind of end up focusing, uh, and I think we'll get there, but we need God's help, amen, to listen, to hear, to be able to apply these things, and so let's ask Him to help us. Lord, once again we pray. We're asking that, uh, that you help us uh, through an interesting passage, a, a kind of a quirky passage, a passage that... Uh, legalists will take to an extreme and, and uh, create law. Uh, but Lord, we know that you have set us free. And so help us to discern what's principle and what is cultural and, uh, and all these things. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Woo. All right. Verse 2. Let me ask you this. Have you ever learned the technique that when you're dealing with someone and you have some hard news to talk about, maybe something corrective, uh, maybe in business, or maybe, you know, you're dealing with your kids and, and you got to, you know, discipline them. And, uh, but you've ever seen the technique where you start off by saying something nice or complimenting and then you get to the nitty gritty? Have you ever done that? Or maybe that's been done to you. I've been sitting in meetings before and someone's doing that. They're like, oh, we just love this about you. And you know it, the boom is coming, right? Well, verse 2 is one of those verses where Paul, he's heading into a, a difficult topic, and so he gives a little positive reinforcement. Let's look at it. It says, I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to my teachings just as I passed, on, passed them on to you. Now, then he goes in and he's going to talk about this. Just look forward to chapter uh, 11, verse 17. Listen, what, he's heading into some stuff that he's really not really all that excited about talking about. Verse 17 says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. So that's next week. I mean, we'll get there. Uh, for your meetings do more harm than good. And uh, so he's about to say some things that are difficult, and he starts here. And it, what he does, he lays out a principle in verse 3, and uh, that's where I want to start. Look at verse 3. It says, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, this is an interesting passage. It's a statement that is covering all kinds of areas, everything in our lives. Authority and submission pervades the universe. It's everywhere. In, in the relationship of man and man, there's authority and submission. In the relationship between man and God, there's authority and submission. And even in the relationship with God and God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there is authority and submission. It's God's divine order. It's the way that God has created things. I do not believe that verse 3 is a cultural 
thing that will change as cultures change. It is not a gray area. I believe there's a principle here, no matter what culture you live in, that there is authority and submission that is very important. And let's look at it. There's three areas. The first is with Christ over man. There are all kinds of verses in the Bible, Ephesians and in Colossians and uh, Matthew and Philippians, uh, where it talks about Christ being the head of the church, right? Being, and we are the church, we are the people, and Christ is over us in authority. Matthew 28, 18 says that all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And, re- and what that means is that Christ is the ruler, Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He is in authority over us. In other words, he rules, he's the governor, he's all authority, and that is a truth no matter if we submit to it or we don't. God, Jesus, is over us, and we are called to be submissive to him. You tracking with me so far? The second principle, or the second area, is where it describes man over woman. And certainly in marriage, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 33, 1 Corinthians 3, Galatians 3, we see that in marriage and in the church, and really in every dimension of living in general, God has given authority to men, and women are to be in a place of submission. Now, I know I've got to be careful here. Because sometimes we read this and we're saying, huh, was Paul a chauvinist pig that he would just lord it over the ladies? And was it like this dominant uh, you know, factor like, hey, submit woman? No, it wasn't. Not at all. But God did design men and women different. And in regards to role, there is an authority and submission that is important to understand i'm gonna we're gonna come back to that point with men man over woman but there's a third one that god is over jesus you're saying okay well wait father son holy spirit the three in one aren't they equal well yes they are but scripture in john chapter 4 and john 10 and john 14 you can write these verses down and look at these later um, we see that jesus was he willingly submitted himself to the father they had a different role, and they were equal. It wasn't like Jesus was inferior to God. They were equal, and, but in role, they had different roles to carry out. And so we see this authority and submission principle. And on a human level, it's true. And on a human to divine level, it's true. And on a totally divine level, it's even true. And it's not about equality. It's not about being inferior. It's different roles assigned in terms of function. Now, before we go on, in Scripture, this principle has got to be bathed in love. And let me explain. How many know that the Father, God, loved His Son, and the Son, Jesus, loved the Father, God? Christ loved the church. He loves us as a church. And in return, we are to love uh, love Christ. The same in a husband and uh, in a home situation. The husband is to love the wife. The wife is called to love the husband. And when we get that right, when love is the key behind this principle, it's not a role like submit or you you know there's an authority. It's not this power struggle. It's a working together, just like. 
God worked with his son, Jesus. They worked together. Now, this particular passage and, and a few others in Scripture are often used uh, where, where different people will say uh, that women are not to be in authority figures uh, in, in a home or in a church situation. And I just want you to know that I do not believe that. In fact, I want to give you some idea of women in ministry. I believe that women, especially in the New Testament, played a vital role. They had a, a vital place in the church. They were indispensable, in other words, in the church. And look at, you can look with me at Romans 16, verse 2, that women were ministering to the saints. They were used in ministry. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in chapter 5, we see in chapter 3, we see that there were deaconess, that it was a group of ladies set aside for spiritual service within the church. In chapter 5, we see widows that were serving, washing people's feet, that were hospitable, used for God's glory within the church. I believe that women always have been valued in the church, and they are valued here at the Gateway Church. But it's interesting, in, in the early church, in the upper room, there were men and women in that 120. I mentioned earlier that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell, there were men and women that were baptized in the Spirit. They were speaking in tongues, prophesying. Acts chapter 5, verse 14, that said both men and women were added to the church daily. It wasn't just one or the other. And it's interesting, at the end of Romans, there's a list of 26 individuals with significant service for Jesus. Out of that 26, eight out of the 26 were women. And one other verse, Galatians 3, 28, says that in Christ, which we are, there is neither male nor female. We are equal. Now, the point is, even though we are spiritually equal, there's a difference in our roles. And this is important for us to understand. It's divinely assigned. And I believe that when we get our minds around it and we understand it, or even if we don't understand it fully, but if we practice these roles of authority and submission, that God will bless us because of it, because it's the way God has, has planned it. Uh, the distinction needs to be recognized, I believe. It needs to be upheld both in the church and in our homes and in society in general. And it's interesting that in that culture, up to that point, until Jesus was on the scene, many of the women in that society were treated like slaves or even like animals, some commentary says. But then Jesus came on the scene. He set women free to be used by God to have an assignment, to be designed, to be used for His glory. And we embrace that here at the Gateway Church today, that women can and should be used for the glory of God. And I hope you agree with me in that. But the point of verse 3 is interesting, that there's this divine order that women are to be submissive to men. And some people will, will try to pluck that out. And by the way, it's sandwiched in between these other true truths that men are to be submissive to Jesus, which no one really has a problem with, right? Or that Jesus was submissive to God. We understand that. But sometimes they look at that middle, uh, women being submissive to men, and there's trouble. And, uh, and I believe that the principle is crystal clear that men are to be in authority, and we'll talk about that more, and then the women are to be in the submissive role, and we see that applied as we continue 
in the scripture. Let's look at verses 4, 5, and 6. All right? It says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. And it is, uh, it is just as though she were shaved. There, her head was shaved. Uh, if a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, which, by the way, uh, in that culture, um, to have short hair women was uh, really, really um, uh, a taboo. Um, only the prostitutes had short hair uh, in that day. And otherwise, their uh, hair was the glory of women. Um, and so they grew their hair long, like super long, like to the floor. Um, but it says here, uh, if that's the case, if you never do that, she should cover her head. And you're saying, okay, so what the principle here is, is being applied. And the, what I see here is that we want to remember that a veil was a common, it was ordinary, it was a customary symbol of modesty and of submission. And the women in that culture, almost all of them, would have covered their heads with no trouble at all. And if they were to remove that covering in public, the woman was really making a statement. And so the men were to be uncovered, okay, and the women were to be covered. And so you look at this principle and you say, well, is this a universal principle? Is this something that should apply to us? Should we, when you leave here today, should we give all the ladies a veil and say next week at the park, you know, we'd prefer if your heads were covered? Is it, is it a universal principle or is there something underlying that we can glean from? And I would say that it was an issue in that time, but the principle of authority and submission and modesty in culture is really still important. And I think to the men, being uncovered or being covered up would have been uh, effeminate. It would have been like they were trying to become or look more like a woman. And to a woman, Paul is saying, look, maintain your modesty and be submissive, especially when you come to church or when you come to pray. And I believe it could be boiled down uh, to be as simple as if that God wants men to look like men and he wants women to look like women. And uh, that's kind of, in my mind, kind of how I've come to, uh, to see that, that principle applied. And then Paul does something very interesting. He continues in his thought in 7 through 10, and he starts to defend this principle. Let's look at it. It says, a man, a man ought not to cover his head. Why? Since he is the image and the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but the woman from man. Neither was man created for, uh, for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on their head. And what we see here is a reference back to, uh, to Genesis, where you know, it all began. And at that point, there was, uh, there was a submission. Christ, uh, Jesus, made man out of the dust of the earth. He breathed life into man. And then out of the man, he created the woman. And so we understand that man was created in the image of God, and then the woman was created, and was uh, like it says here, the woman is the glory of man. It was taken out of the man, and so that's a reference there. And what's interesting is that the men did not cover their heads in general in that society. Remember, that covering was a symbol of submission. And so if a man was going to cover his head, which he wouldn't have, 
It would have like it would have been like he was saying, "Okay, I'm going to relinquish my authority. I'm going to give it to someone else." And Paul's saying, "No, man was made in God's glory, and women was made to manifest man's authority and man's will as man was made in to manifest God's authority." And so it was a very very important the distinction here. And Paul's saying, "Look, women, you ought to wear a veil." Because it's a conventional Corinthian symbol of authority and submission. And also, uh, it's a symbol of exousia or of authority where you're saying, look, I am coming under authority uh, in a divine sense, recognizing my role. But then verse 10, it throws people for a loop. And, uh, and I'll just tell you, um, I think that we have to remember that there's, it's in the context of authority and submission. And, uh, and as we read that uh, and we look at that, let's look at verse 10. It says, for this reason and because of the angels, it's like, what? Uh, the women ought to have a sign of authority on their head. Well, as I understand this, angels would have understood authority and submission. Uh, a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven because they were rebellious and uh, prideful. Well, it's interesting that John MacArthur, as he kind of looks at this, he says that God is saying, look, a woman should recognize her place of submission, and it should be clear from her lifestyle and her pattern uh, that she is in submission to authority so that the angels, in looking at the church, shall be pleased with the church's submission to her Lord. And so it's an issue of submission, and so we would do that for the angel's sake. In other words, it's important for women not to offend these higher spiritual intelligences because they would have viewed submission and authority as being right and proper and honoring to God. And I believe that that's the point, that women and men, really, should take these principles, not only apply them, defend them, but to live them out. Let's look at verse 11. We'll continue. And we see kind of the principle being harmonized here, kind of coming together. It says, In the Lord, however, women uh, is not uh, independent of man, nor is man independent of women. For as women came from man, so also man is born of women. But everything comes from God. Now, this is very interesting. He's saying, look, nevertheless, all these things I've just said, it's important for you to know that there's equality. There's a balance in the roles. There's a working together, just like Christ worked with God, or that we, the body of Christ, work with Christ to accomplish His goals. In the same way, men and women need to work together. Everything is from God, is what Paul's saying here. Then what's interesting, that woman came from man on the one time, Adam, a rib taken, and then a woman was established. From that point forward, man comes from women all those times. And so there's a mutual dependency here. And he brings those together and ties it in. And then he wraps it up in verses 13 through 16. Let's read it. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head cut uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? But if a, man, a woman has long hair, it's her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of 
God. Now let me try to explain what this is saying. This is the principle being responded to. And Paul's saying, look, this is not rocket science. Judge for yourselves. In this culture, when Paul is writing this, the Corinthian believers would have known exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, look, I don't need to even tell you what the answer or what the truth is here. You can think through it. You can come to your own conclusion. And when it comes to verses 14 and 15, that long hair for a man was a disgrace and that long hair for a woman was her glory. What's that about? And you know what? People take that and run with that. And, uh, you know, if you, if you have you know, ever had kids that, you know, try to grow their hair out or something like that. Um, I remember when I, was, uh, when I was young, my parents, my mom was really careful that I didn't have too long a hair and I never really understood it. It's probably because of this verse. She's coming next week. I'll ask her, I guess. I don't know. But, but what is this about long hair and short hair? Should we go through and kind of make a rule and say, well, guys, if your hair is too long, you know, get the clippers out. And next week, you know, uh, you know, we wanted a little trimmer. OK, or ladies, if your hair is real short, you know, we're going to give you six months, but you need to grow it out. Is that the, is that the idea? No. There are some physiological truth here, though, in these verses and the science behind it is there are three phases of growing hair. This is interesting. There's a formation and growth stage, a resting stage, and then a falling out stage. And what's interesting is that men have the hormone testosterone working in us. Yeah, all the guys going, hoo, 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 right? Well, that the testosterone speeds up, and I see the evidence, I'm not looking anywhere in particular, of, of those phases that gets them to a falling out <laughs> earlier than others. And what's interesting is that estrogen in women, it prolongs that, uh, that reality, that stage, uh, getting to that fallout stage. Uh, there are very few women that struggle with baldness, and it's just interesting. And what's interesting as well as you study it and you, as you kind of boil it down saying, okay, what is this about? What's the truth here? Well, the reality is in most societies, in over 90% of societies in, in, over the, the centuries, men have shorter hair than women. There are very few exceptions to that. And could it be because of what God's, you know, God's role? For me, when I boil it down, I don't care if a guy has long hair or if a woman has short hair. But I think the truth that could, we could glean from this that I think would be appropriate is that a man's haircut should look like a man's haircut, okay? And that a woman's haircut should look like a woman's haircut. And, uh, and it's a principle of modesty and really a distinction between the sexes, okay? And I'm going to talk about that a little bit as we wrap up, but verse 16 is interesting. He's saying, look, there's only one way here. Paul is saying this to the church. He's saying, and if you have a problem with this, He's saying, get over it. He says, if there's any contention here, he says, there's no other way in the church or anywhere else. This is what we're dealing with. And Paul's saying, look, ladies, cover your head, for goodness sake. It's a sign of submission and authority, recognizing the roles, and it's an issue of modesty in that culture. You tracking with me so far? <laughs> I think there's... I, you know, I get through that, through those verses, and I don't think I did it justice, okay? I mean, there's a lot written about these, and I was talking 
with a few different people this week about this particular passage saying, oh, where's the application? You know, where, where's the truth for us today in 2014? And, uh, and I do believe that there are some takeaways that I want us to kind of glean. Um, but it, again, it's not what we've done here in the last 20 minutes. It doesn't do justice to that, those particular verses. You can go a lot deeper. But the three takeaways that I, want, I feel like God wants us to kind of get our mind around in the next 10 minutes uh, is, number one, that there is a divine role of a man and a woman. And what's interesting that in our culture, and I'm sure you see this as much as I do, there is a battleground today happening in regards to gender roles and uh, a, like a role reversal or gender confusion. And when you look at Scripture, God created man and women different. And Satan would love nothing more than to upset the divine order of how God set us all up to be. Do you guys see it in our culture? And we see it sometimes in marriages, that this battle of submission and authority. And, and, if, you, and if guys, if you could be the authority figure, and uh, if, if ladies, if you could submit and, and you do it in love, it's a beautiful marriage. In churches, we see that issue and with, um, with, um, uh, with authority and with uh, roles of men and women and really in every dimension of life. The point is, is that there is a divine distinction of roles set out in Scripture. It's undeniable. It's not so we can be abusive, guys, and say, hey, woman, submit, right? Or we're, we're going to go around and lord it over anyone. No, men are not superior to women in essence or personality or thinking. Uh, there's no distinction in spiritual life and emotion, in our minds, in our capacity or our ability. In fact, there are many women that are much more capable in a lot of things than I am, and I'm okay with that. But I do believe there's a principle that men need to understand their role. We are called to lead, guys. We are the leaders. We do that with love, but we're the ones that God has given authority. And we cannot, we must not relinquish that to someone else. You are called to lead, guys, and so we need to do that. On the flip side, women need to submit and to understand their role as well, to submit out of love. And when a man understands his role and a woman understands her role, and that authority and submission is working together with love, I'm telling you, God blesses those relationships. It's an incredible blessing. And so that first takeaway is that there is a real sense of this role of man and woman, and we need to understand that. The second takeaway is that God is interested in modesty. And I know it's kind of a secondary theme because of the veil it was considered to be modest, but I would say that especially in the worship context, um, modesty is important. Don't draw attention to yourself, men or women. At worship time, it's not the time to be an object of attraction. We are not here to try to get anyone's attention. The point is it's not the time to size each other up or to, to be looking. No. And in that culture, the head covering kind of helped them uh, in that. But seriously, though, in our culture, the way we dress, 
one to another. If we have you know, too revealing of clothes, too tight, if something's inappropriate, it really becomes a distraction. And the point is, you don't want to steal the attention from God, do you? Seriously? And so guys and gals, be careful with what you wear. And I know it's right in the middle of summer. This would be easier to talk about maybe in December when we're all bundled up and, you know, got three coats on. But listen, it makes a difference. And some, some ladies are like, well, guys, you know, they're, they're just visual. You know, it, it, they've got the problem. Well, listen, that's, it's not a problem. That's the way God created us. And so we got to be careful. And uh, parents, you could help us in this. And I'm speaking, you know, to Jessica and for me, we have to discern what will we allow Logan to wear or Reagan to wear in both circumstances. And if a certain outfit brings attention to a certain part of the anatomy or leaves a part exposed, could we agree because of modesty that we shouldn't wear that or allow our kids to wear that? And it's tough. You say, man, you know, this, but it's in, it's in style or that's just what everyone's wearing. Well, listen, listen especially when it comes to worshiping God. We want to be careful. If there's a potential to draw attention away from the Lord, we want to avoid that. And, uh, and again, this applies to men and to women. First service, I told the story. Uh, this goes back a year or two, maybe, may, probably two years. Um, I had done some shopping, had some, uh, some money, and I, I got a pair of skinny jeans that were, uh, pretty form-fitting, and I, I thought they were cool, and I thought, all right, you know, I can pull it off, you know, and uh, Jessica thought they looked good, and I'm like, all right, no worries, and I, I wore this pair of skinny jeans. They were super tight um, uh, on a Sunday morning and didn't think anything of it until after service, a couple people came up to me and made comments about my jeans, and they really took me off guard, and at first I'm like, get a ladder and get over it. I'm going to wear these jeans. That's kind of what I wanted to say. But as I thought about it, and actually another couple came up to me, a husband and wife, and they said, look, that was a distraction to us, your skinny jeans. And I've, did, I've said, okay, in that circumstance, in this public setting, I'm not going to wear those. I'm going to limit my liberty because I don't want anyone, I don't want to distract and guys, it can be, you know, with, you know, a shirt that's too tight and you're showing all your guns. Or ladies, it could be something that's too revealing and, uh, or exposing too much. We have got to be careful. And so the second takeaway is God is interested in our modesty, men and women. Amen? Amen. The third thing really goes back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Uh, turn with me there, or you should be there. Um, one final verse goes back to uh, last week. Verse 31 says this, So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I think this is the litmus test. This is the question that we should be constantly asking ourselves. Our desire should be to glorify God with our lives, to build each other up, to, main the, to maintain distinction between the sexes, to be modest, to understand authority and submission. And women, to honor and to understand your role 
is an incredible blessing, especially in the church, especially in your home with your husbands. And husbands, to understand your role of authority and to love your wives, to sacrifice. What did Christ do for the church? What did, he gave his, himself up for us. He was the, he's in charge. He's the authority, but he sacrificed. And guys, as we lead well and we sacrifice, and when we understand that God-given authority, we put those together, I believe it takes a difficult passage like this that we're discussing today, and I believe it can become alive in our hearts. And we can become gracious. We can pursue purity at all costs. We can understand reverence. And ultimately, we're going to point people to Jesus and bring God the praise and the glory through our lives. That's what I believe God's word is for us today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there's a principle of authority and submission that's divine and seen throughout the universe. We also thank you for the encouragement to be modest. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be strong, to, that you would help us to be mindful, that men would be uh, leaders and women would, would love their husbands and they would be submissive and even in, the, in, even in the culture. And God, that you would help us to understand that this is your plan. And even if we don't understand it fully, help us to take a step in that direction for men to love their wives, to love the women around them, to honor them, to s sacrifice for them. And when that happens, the women will easily submit and to understand their role. God, help us in these things. And God, I pray if there's areas that the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit is dealing with us in regards to modesty or in submission or authority, God, do what only you can do. Help us to grow in these areas. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.